Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art, produced by New Adventures in Sound Art for WGXC Wave Farm. Today's show features David Eagle, composer from Calgary, Alberta, whose music crosses many idioms. Our discussion with him predates a concert of his work hosted online on May 30th by New Adventures in Sounder. In this concert coming up, there seems to be elements in your work that are all blended between instrumental music, uh, electroacoustic uh, technology, and then and then soundscape recordings. Uh, do all these things for you speak different languages, or are they all do they all speak one language? Well, I have three different pieces on, on the program. Um, and the first is an uh, interactive soundscapes uh, project with uh, soundscapes from two different places in, in the world. And the second is for a, a cello with uh, a live processing of sound and transformation of sound, and also with some sound files. And the third piece is a sonic arts work, uh, which combines... Um, archival recordings and soundscape recordings with uh, instrumental passages that are mixed in together. So in a way, um, although they are, they're sharing similar material, I find that um, uh, that is all three, for instance, contain soundscapes, um, that because the contexts are very different, we listen to them quite differently. And I've, I've also found that when in a sonic arts work where you have different kinds of sounds that are mixed together, um, I find that we do listen to the, those 
layers of sounds in different ways. So when we listen to a, an instrument playing a melody, then we hear that quite differently from if we hear someone speaking, um, where we might, of course, listen for the meaning of what is being said. Or sometimes we just listen for the intonation of the voice and the emphasis that's being given. Um, and for listening to soundscapes, we're, we're only... Um, I, I don't think we re really acknowledge how we listen to soundscapes, that we're, we're not really as aware of how we listen to soundscapes. And so that actually is the most, um, well, it shouldn't be the most, it's not the newest aspect, because it's actually, of course, the most, it's the oldest aspect. But I guess we don't listen to soundscapes for communication in the way we do when we listen to voice. Instead, we listen to uh, so it takes some effort to shift our focus to listen to the ambience or to listen um, musically to a soundscape. So to hear, to, to listen to, uh, hear uh, gestures in a soundscape the way we might hear gestures um, in a, someone speaking or musical gestures in someone playing. Um, and so I think that's what I, I'm I'm. Uh, so I, I realize there's a different impact from all these different kinds of sound, but I'm trying to bring musical expression um, or just human expression into all of these um, um, different different kinds of sounds. So if you have a soundscape, um, I want to be able to, to, to change it and transform it in some way, just like when you play an instrument, well, you can change the melody, you can change the timbre, you can... Um, um, you know, do all kinds of things with it. And so I'm trying to uh, bring the kind of a musician's approach to working with um, all these recorded sounds too. Do you find yourself, when you listen to stuff in the environment, that you're listening to it with a musical ear? Uh, yes, yeah, very very much. Um, I think that's why I'm quite attracted to um, um, birdsong, for instance, because you... you um, that's you know i think it's obvious it's quite musical um and it's uh and it's communicating and also um when you're recording you're in a sense you're very close to sounds um because you're listening through headphones and you've got this these super ears which is the microphone and you move the microphone around and then you're you're very 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 aware of the of how the sound changes as you move the microphone around. And so you're very attentive. And so in that sense, it's a musical way of listening. You're not filtering out the sounds. Instead, you're shifting all of your attention to what you're listening to. Um, and I find sometimes I'll even use the microphone in a musical way by moving it deliberately to change the the sound just like in a in a studio where you might do a filter change the filter on a sound to make it richer or or dampen it um, sometimes you can get very dramatic effects like that by moving the microphone i guess in a way is the the studio electroacoustic studio practice is what brings these two other areas together the soundscape and the instrumental music that by thinking of everything in a way, a kind of sculptural thing that you can modify in the studio, that uh, that, that creates a, a means of bringing them together, as opposed to, say, a, perfor a live performance with just a, 
instrumentalist in a recorded soundscape. Yeah, I I think the studio is uh, is is yeah really important. It's a, uh, I mean it's been a a dream for centuries to have um, uh, electroacoustic or a, a sound studios like we have now, and um, and so when you're there, all you, you it's it's very quiet and all you hear, all you can what you can really focus on are the the sounds that you've recorded, and so then you you relive the experience that you had when you when you're out recording the sound and then you actually and you find that you discover much more about it because you're um you you can hear it uh with really great fidelity and uh um and then you can transform it in different ways um yeah some people are um are appalled by it it's it's like because on the one hand um it's it's a disembodied sound you've recorded it you've removed it from its environment um you recorded a a lion roar while that lion isn't right there of course and so they um but it's um you know that was uh one of murray schaefer's um uh points that it's a, a disembodied sound um but but I, actually i find it um it, it it's it's, I guess, fundamental to music of our time and right from the 20th century when we could really record sound. And with your piece, uh, Passages and Scenes, you're kind of bringing together all these elements plus language uh, in, into it. And it's within a historical frame of uh, reimagining the soundscape of Alberta over the prairie soundscape. Maybe if you could talk a bit about how you brought these elements together and and the use of uh, the texts in in the piece. Yeah. So um, passages and scenes, reflection and memory is a. I refer to it as a sonic arts work or sonic art work. I wanted it to um, not be um, uh, put into one specific genre. I wanted it to be really uh, really open, and. Um, in original performance um, or presentation often it's uh, presented with uh, eight channels uh, surrounding the audience and um, the material um, a, a, as you mentioned it has this kind of historical or um, almost prehistorical aspect to it as well um, but basically tracing how the the soundscape has changed over the last, um, well, in, in Alberta and in, in, in the West in general, because it also has mountain uh, soundscapes as well, going from um, um, yeah, the Rocky Mountains um, through the prairies and foothills, and then also in the uh, grasslands, like Grasslands uh, National Park in Alberta, Saskatchewan. And, um, and then I also used archival material from the Glenbow Museum in Calgary, and have um, recordings going back um, 70 years, I would, yeah, some would be like in the 50s, right, when recordings were first being done, um, and have, um, and also some broadcast um, recordings from um, before uh, World War II. So, in, and the languages that I have, um, are uh, Cree and Blackfoot recordings of uh, of native speakers, and then also uh, uh, the, the Premier of Alberta at the time, 
um, who was uh, uh, kind of talked about the, the freedom of Alberta and, and uh, that, that kind of mentality. And so basically, it, the, the way the, the musical material develops is it starts off with these very um, um, kind of like, almost like big boulders rolling along the ground to give a kind of prehistoric um, sensation. Um, and then you have on top of this kind of grinding sound or rolling sound, you have instruments gradually come in and then also the soundscape of just, just the soundscape, no, no human activity at all, just, um, some, some birds. And then afterwards it kind of tells a story and it's meant to portray, um, kind of moving through time as, as the culture has, has changed with, with indigenous um, peoples and then um, uh, Europeans and then the mixing of cultures with the, the Métis um, and then the uh, friction that's, that develops when cultures clash with the and indigenous and, and the European and the impact of colonialism. And the Blackfoot is actually reading uh, from John um, in, in, in Blackfoot and that's what to represent that and then from there we we start to go into some of the machine noise and uh, then you start to have like just an, a, a very intense layering of languages and voices some of the pioneers there's an interview with uh, some pioneers what their experience was like in the late 1800s in southern Alberta and that's really when people um, when Europeans first um, began to settle there there's some quotes um, talking about missionaries and Father Lacombe, who was like a, a very important figure at that time. Um, the rum runners, the gunslingers, all of these like historical uh, or these characters who make up um, the past in Alberta. And then after you have this, um, you have moments of confrontation and clashing and um, um, superimposing of all these different things happening. And then it kind of fuses all together. Um, there's some, there's some very violent moments as well that I, I wanted to get the oil sands in somehow. I was thinking, oh, I should go up there and, and record the sound of some of these huge machines and try and capture what's happening there. And, and it was, it was just, it was, that was actually quite, um, yeah, overwhelming to even think about doing that. And so I, but I did get some very, uh, violent sounds in, in other ways, um, that were related to motion, motion of cars, and then some real crash sounds. And then the reflection comes out of that. There's kind of a moment of transformation and it all kind of fuses together with this um, um, long um, yeah, 88-beat uh, melody that, uh, that ends the piece. And we kind of come back to simplicity at the end.
Just moving on to your other pieces that are in the show. Um, so there's a piece that's for cello and um, processing of the cello and recorded sounds. I think it's called Tactus. Is that right? Um, maybe you can tell tell me a bit more about that piece. So Tactus is a um, yeah. First of all, solo cello, and then with um, live processing of the cello, uh, which is. Um, changing the sound through the computer in different ways. And then um, some uh, sound files, some rec uh, soundscape recordings, and also some um, edited um, sounds that are, are mixed um, in, in with it. So I'd, I'd written uh, a cello piece called, called Within when I was uh, a student um, studying in Freiburg. And it was a piece that I wrote after about three months not being able to write anything. And it's like a real, um, finally getting some, uh, knowing what I want to do and getting, being able to write again. And Tactus is a bit similar as well, because I was, I was coming after a period when I hadn't written, written much because being too busy with other things. And uh, so I was able to, you know, so clearing my head and being able to write. And so it was actually written over a period of a, of a couple of months. And, um, and then the the um, the title tactus um, is from the Latin meaning touch, and I was really thinking about the touch of the fingers on on the just on the on the strings on the on the fingerboard of the cello, and the the touch of the bow strings on the strings as well. And then what I was uh, also there are other interesting things about touch. Um, so touches uh, tactus is uh, the, the when it's related to um, also related to, to feeling for instance and um, um, so in Latin you have affectus and tactio and then also I found that it ties in a little bit with um, um, the aspect of um, contagion as well <laughs> so when you touch something then it's it's a kind of um, well, contagion as well can happen, and I just, I thought, well, that that's actually it's actually a really Im Im appropriate title for what we're what we're experiencing now, and how. So you you take it first of all, you're touching something, you have the contact on the strings, and then the, and then that sound goes to the the computer, and it becomes kind of transformed like a virus, and it starts to mutate in the in the in the processing on the computer. And so it's a kind of con of a contagion that that takes takes place, and then it gets sent around through the system, and then gets uh, broadcast out to listeners as well. So, um, 
yeah, it just seemed to me, um, has a, a good, um, good connection to all, to what we're experiencing now. And what types of processes or transformations of the cello are you doing in the piece? Um, yeah, originally I wanted it to be um, multi-channel so that it, for listeners it would be in a space and they'd hear it moving around, um, the sound moving around. And I use a, um, uh, a device called the uh, Leap Motion, which uh, tracks the movement of my hand. And then I map that to uh, moving the sound around the round. So spatializing the sound or moving the sound in in the listener's space is uh, um, an important aspect of it. Um, and that'll that's probably the main aspect. I also do um, some harmonizing of some of the sounds using um, just intonation. That is the intonation that that uh, we used um, maybe a thousand or six hundred years ago, um, where you have very pure intervals. Um, but um, I, I won't rely as as much on those processes. Um, the other processes are um, uh, some time delay so that you're hearing um, multiple images or um, of the sound or multi almost like you're getting multiple perspectives of, of what is played um, at the same time. And then other other tech other and other approaches to take a, a sound that's maybe smooth and sustaining and then to break it up so that rhythms emerge out of the sound. Um, and but what since now we're doing this um, with just uh, two speakers, I'm finding that a lot of what I planned uh, to do for the, this piece um, doesn't work as well because I in, really need to have more more speakers. And so I'm actually um, cutting back. Uh, I'm reducing the kinds of processing so that there's more um, just more clarity um, of, of the sound for uh, uh, people who are listening um, through headphones. It, it, um, it's, it, the, the sound is processed using uh, binaural recording or binaural processing. And so you can get with, uh, with headphones and well, depending on your ears too, um, because everybody's ears are different, um, you should be able to get a, a sensation of sounds um, moving all around you, front and back and up and down and, and right, uh, right inside as well. So it's a kind of approximation of what it would be in a hall with many speakers. Yes, yeah, it's like the the BBC does some binaural um, broadcasts from time to time of um, uh, like recording the proms concerts, for instance, and then it, it's a very, quite different from from stereo. Uh, in one sense, it's not as precise, I find, um, and you sometimes you just can't can't necessarily pinpoint where that sound is coming from, and then. But then um, perhaps um, very often that's what it's like in listening to something in a, in a concert hall as well, that you can't, you don't get a direct um, left versus right um, kind of listening experience. Yeah, perhaps in some ways with, with uh, multi-channel playback systems and with, um, and with uh, panning on a mixer, uh, uh, we've 
our ears have almost uh, accepted a kind of uh, artificial representation of space uh, that is can be more precise uh, uh, because of of um, well, I guess it's, it's just really change of direct current as opposed to uh, the reflections of something uh, being uh, um, animated by the space around it. Yeah, I think it's uh, we've become yeah quite uh, attuned to that, um, and you you just um, you know so often when people talk about music, they're actually talking about what they're listening to through their um, earbuds on on a streaming service. And that becomes what music is represented. And really it's, when you think about it, that's all very, all of that music is, is has so many conventions and, uh, you know, even where the, 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 the drums should be placed and where the, the piano should be placed and and each genre has different ways of of uh of of, of presenting the music so that it's um convincing and in in a, in a listening environment but for um when you're working with uh soundscape material well we don't we're not as um we don't have so many restrictions that way because we don't have a, a a listening practice that's set up that way, um, and uh, and the same thing with uh, interactive pieces, um, like this cello piece would be interactive because um, it's it can be quite unpredictable what actually happens in a performance, and that's I think um, a, a really important aspect of it is that it's not a, a fixed product. It's not something that's made in a studio meant to be. Uh, meant to be a you know commercial release but rather it's it's a live performance and so the all of the things that are happening spontaneously in that live performance and the, and then the things that can happen in any kind of of a complex audio system that is created um those are what what make it quite interesting yeah i mean and i guess all in this context of the covid 19 i suppose those elements uh, um getting harder to share those elements uh, or make those elements apparent, I guess, unless you have a video cast of the performance, um, but those uh, physical gestures and how they're tied to how a sound is uh, generated um, uh, may not translate so well to an audio recording. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Um, because, um, so it is, uh, so in that sense, it goes um, goes back to um, uh, studio practice, um, the idea of, of listening to sounds and not knowing what the s source of the sound is, um, so or acousmatic listening. And um, that is, you can still have um, something that's live and interactive, um, and the meaning of that sound doesn't um, have to be, isn't that, doesn't always have to be connected with seeing the the physical gesture on it. Sometimes you can imagine how that sound is being created or how it's, and that's actually can be even richer, right? If you hear a cello playing and you imagine that how the cellist is, is playing that something, or if, if you hear a soundscape and you, um, it might, it's going to evoke 
certain images in your mind. And then, um, so in, in, in that sense, the, the listening experience can be even richer because all of your attention is focused on, on listening. If, if, and if we did bring in the video, then um, what happens is it gets out of sync, of course, because sound travels faster than than video when it's on a when we're sending sound over the internet or sending a sound and image over the internet, and so it just it becomes almost a distraction sometimes when you um, when you have that that delay that you're always having to deal with or latency. Yeah, I was going to say that things enter into a kind of radiophonic space uh, where um, the listener provides the visuals uh, just out of their imagination based on their personal experience. This definitely is the, the time for radiophonic um, art forms to, to flourish, I think. Radio is often can be quite engaging when, um, when things are happening live. And... Um, and you know that it's only happening now. But for instance, like all, all of the, when we think of uh, all, all the sports that have stopped now, well, if you, you know, I have a, a subscription to NHL and, and I thought, okay, I could watch games that happened before to get my hockey fix. <laughs> but actually I'm not, I'm not interested in doing that at all. I thought, why would I, why would I want to do that? Right. Uh, with music, you you go back and you listen again and again, which which is very different, something different about music. But with something that's meant to happen live, um, just hearing it played back, it's not uh, it's not its medium. So um, so this is uh, I guess what interests me about this project are these two pieces, the tactus and then the the preceding, and then also this an interactive soundscape piece, is that they're both um, yeah live radiophonic works so um you know and they're now designed um, to be heard on the radio um with headphones uh so what is the first piece then on the show working continuing to work backwards here well the first piece is um i realized afterwards or quite recently that it's it focuses on sounds that involve motion so whereas tactus is more about touch and contact and sounds that have um, that are created from contact and touch, um, this opening piece is is uh, sounds of, of motion and uh, and much more. The material is more about um, ambience as well. So uh, wide natural ambience in, in natural spaces as well, and then move from there moving to uh, close recordings within those environments. When I choose, um, there's so many um, uh, databases of, of sounds um, available that so you can always get all kinds of sounds to use. Um, but I hardly ever do that because I find it it's not meaningful because I want to have sounds that I've I've actually recorded and I, I know what they're about. Um, I know I know where they're from. I can remember how they were created. And so, the the so I have recorded sounds from, um, uh, uh, basically a, a park in um, Sintra, Portugal, and it's uh, a park around the um, um, I think it was called the the Pen Pena, uh, Palace, which is this amazing 
um, dilapidated palace and it, it you descend down through um, into a valley and there's uh, uh, there's water running everywhere it starts on top of course and then just streams down through different culverts and and tubes and uh, stone structures and there's lots um, lots of birds but very quiet birds actually um, interesting um, acoustic areas because of the stonework that's been built up um, it's very misty a bit damp um, and so just I just became so fascinated with this, all the sounds I was uh, recording there a lot of them using water sounds um, and um, and then some larger uh, sounds of just the general ambience and in a way um, if I was just choosing sounds for the, the you know the very best sounds then I would say, well, I, I'm not, I don't have the very best sounds here. Instead, I'm the, I want the sounds that are from this place. Um, and then tied in with that, um, it was, I recorded sounds from a window, a windowsill in Portugal, in Lisbon. And um, so it's one place and just hearing the sound in the windowsill itself. And then um, the ambience of the sounds um, on the street. So cars going by on the uh, the wet streets in a European city you've got all the sound reflecting and then the third um, uh, place is uh, Regent's Park in London and um, a very different soundscape uh, it's well it's very quiet but you have uh, the background uh, city noise uh, which is a bit more apparent although I have um, attenuated that quite a bit and then just like London itself is a, a, a this uh, amazingly uh, sociable and active place, um, the pond, at the bird pond, <laughs> at Regent's Park is also this incredibly uh, lively and active. Um, it, it's it's like a pub for birds in a way. It's just uh, incredible how how lively it is. You have all these different characters, and they're all kind of. Um, making themselves heard and you've got these great water sounds as well when birds are, are moving and taking off so and that's that's what I focused on was just those sounds and so they all so they represent in a way sounds of motion um, because water sound it's all always moving and um, and then the birds well the birds are moving as well um, I guess with bird sound we also could say sounds of, of communication um, but not so much um, percussive sounds or sounds of touch in the way that uh, the other piece has. And then, and then the last category that I bring into this piece would be um, transformations of these sounds, um, stretching them out, um, um, creating some, some drone-like material out of it or some very harmonic um, um, characteristics emerge out of this material. And so as an interactive piece, um, you know, how, how to approach it, how to um, create a, a, a composition out of this. And in a way, um, in a way, it's not a composition. It's more of a, um, because it, that is, it's not a fixed uh, form. Um, I think what I'm doing is I'm actually, what it's about is listening to how the sounds are transformed, because I'm also um, using um, the motions of my hand to transform the sounds live. So uh, sounds 
are actually, um, I don't always know precisely what sound is going to happen at what point in the piece. And I'm just letting them come in and I can also um, trigger certain sounds at different times if I want to. But I found it's been quite fascinating to just work with the sounds that that the um, my um, um, program is, is just generating and I, I have it kind of happening every six seconds or so that a sound comes in and then I move move that that uh, recording around, and then then I find that actually the atten- you can focus the attention much better this way on the uh, on the movement of the sound. So it's more about a so the piece could go on for well I guess as long as as I can keep playing it right. So in that sense, it's a bit more like a, a radiophonic um, sound live sound installation in a way, mm-hmm. or performance I guess. Well. Yeah, improvisation, really. Yeah, it's a. Uh, the thing is, within improvisation, um, you are choosing um, what you play very often, and in this case, um, I, I've made it a bit more aleatoric. That is, uh, I have an idea what sounds are going to happen because, or which collection of sounds are going to be happening when but I don't actually know what sound will happen at exactly what point in the piece or at what or how it will appear. So it might actually come in um, at a, in a very low level, like a transposed down a, an octave or, or so. Um, or you might end up having um, a cluster of uh, one sound repeated two or three times, and then you get a different kind of texture that emerges. And um, so that's why it's... Um, Improvisation covers part of it because the improvisation is when I'm I'm taking that hearing that sound and then I'm doing something to it. So that definitely is the improvisation part because I'm listening to it and I'm interpreting it and shaping it. But the um, deciding on the order of the sounds um, that is happening in a different way. And what is the title of the piece? Uh, <laughs> Gee, that's the toughest question because I don't have an answer for it uh, yet. So is this still um, a new piece then? Yeah. Oh, it's a very new piece. Yes. Yeah. It's still. Um, I'm, I'm. I was. My working title is now just calling it Sintra as a way to remember the, um, the the very first uh, soundscape that I recorded to that got it all started and this very magical uh, environment and so. Um, it's uh, and it's meant to be, um, just as this this place is kind of magical in its own right. I, I think this I see this piece as being kind of magical because it's it's meant meant to be much more than just listen to that soundscape and and uh, think about it. But it's actually about um, the soundscape. Uh, um, listen to the sounds and how they are changing and where is it taking you and you know what's um, sometimes it seems like all, all of a sudden the sounds are right inside you because when you you move them down in the, like in a you uh, know if you think of a surround sound setting if you if you actually were to take a sound and imagine speakers were coming below from below then the sensation is that it's that sound is coming from from the chest just like singers talk about, you know, a chest tone and so on. And well, okay, all of a sudden I've got, that sound is now in my chest. 
and then and then by contrast if you move it up really really high then the sound almost disappears and you can't tell is it's neither left or right it's not even above in a way it's just kind of like right at a point right above your head somewhere and then as you move down then it kind of spreads out a little bit and then you realize okay now it's i'm hearing it more through my ears so sometimes you get these these really um odd sensations where the sound is as really an inter becomes an um an inner soundscape and this is with using uh, the binaural sound imaging and listening on headphones yeah yeah or if you have um um i think if you have um okay a bit of tech talk here <laughs> if you have the adobe atmos uh plug-in um on your on your uh, um, audio system whether it's a, a, a cell phone with um, good stereo speakers or a, um, be curious what it sounds like on an iPad or a, um, of course an audiophile system would be really good um, some cars that might be really good as well um, if that you know sitting in a, a car that's not moving because probably the worst music to listen to in a car is music that involves um, soundscapes because you're you you know you're, you're you you need to know what soundscapes are around you just for your your driving cues <laughs>
That was Sintra by David Eagle, a new work in progress featured on a May 30th online concert presented by New Adventures in Sound Art. Earlier in the show, we heard, of course, from David Eagle, and uh, we also heard excerpts of his piece, Passages and Scenes, Reflections and Memory. Thank you for listening. Uh, join us uh, in a month's time on the show, Making Waves, which is uh, produced monthly by New Adventures in Sound Art in South River, Ontario, Canada. Uh, archives of past shows uh, can be found on the wavefarm.org website or their very uh, nifty uh, mobile app. Uh, and of course, also uh, at uh, our website, nasa.ca, N-A-I-S-A dot C-A.